Greetings, comrades and compatriots. We need to talk about the military-grade psychological weapon that has been deployed against the people of the United States. What we've seen over the last handful of years is that the U.S. government is not capable of responding to the threats on our national security introduced by technologies around social media and personal data. If it was, the executives of Cambridge Analytica would be in jail. We would have been developing a deterrent to the military-grade psychological weapon, and Parler would have been on a watch list the moment Mercer money went behind it. What do we mean by a military-grade psychological weapon, and what do I mean by a deterrent? Cambridge Analytica is a prime example. It grew out of a company called the SCL Group, which targeted propaganda to incite insurrection and destabilize regimes across the world. When it became called Cambridge Analytica is when it became deployed against the US and the UK citizens. While using targeted propaganda to incite insurrection, the other task that they undertake is fashioning a hero to arise and lead the insurrection. This individual is a champion that's favorable to the interests that are behind the weapon being deployed. This was classified as a military-grade psychological weapon by the UK government and other countries because it has a trigger, a delivery mechanism, and a payload. The Great Hack documentary explains the history of the SCL group, how it morphed into Cambridge Analytica, and how it persisted once Cambridge Analytica was dissolved following the scandal. Now, that's Cambridge Analytica as a business entity. All of the executives and operatives are still free to do as they please. The documentary shows how the congressional investigations following the Cambridge Analytica were shelved when the incoming Trump administration took over. Records were sealed, never to see the light of day. CA, as a developer, was able to access the information of you and everyone on your friends list, and they used that data to figure out who they can trigger into radical action. They ascertained that they didn't need to really convince huge swaths of the population to take action based on their propaganda. They just had to focus on the specific nodes, the people who would be most susceptible and then who would spread it the fastest. These were people in our communities, in our families, who were manipulated. Yes, there was foreign money behind Cambridge Analytica. And what would be the foreign interest of investing in a company like this? Well, the ability to destabilize the United States is a pretty hot item. The real question is, why were supposed patriots like the Mercers in business with people like the Russians for this purpose? Now, there is speculation in documentaries and exposés about why people like the Mercers who are Americans would want to put their money behind a project with people like the Russians for the purpose of targeting and manipulating people on a mass scale in their home country. But the point is, they realize that they can win elections and there's money in winning elections. One of the leaders behind Cambridge Analytica was Steve Bannon, who viewed Cambridge Analytica and the technology and methodology behind it as a way to advance the culture war. I highly recommend researching, watching the documentary, looking into some of the exposés if you'd like an in-depth explanation of how this all transpired. But as we saw on January 6th, it only takes a small group of people to turn a protest into a violent uprising and an insurrection in the most sacred halls of power of our government. No government is immune to this weapon, as we can see. Perhaps countries like China, who have more of a hold on their public media and what happens on social media, could be immune to weapons like this because they are simply not allowed to prosper. But that begs the question of how do we create a deterrent to this weapon? Or are we doomed to have it utilized against us again and again for whoever has the money to effectively 
buy our election. And this isn't buying as in donating large sums of money. This is buying as in using that money to purchase a weapon that will turn the tides in your favor. Perhaps a deterrent is cranking down on social media and censoring what can be posted and who can post it. China, for instance, is considering requiring people who perform live streams on social media to provide personal identification to those platforms so that they can be held accountable for the things that they say on social media. While it's not an altogether bad idea for people to be held accountable for the things that they do and say, in the United States we have a, sort, a certain aversion to censorship, so that makes that method a little bit difficult. But what else could we class as a deterrent to this type of weaponry? If the payload is radicalization, we have to engage in deliberate de-radicalization. We have to de-radicalize our police force. Radicalization is essentially when people become convinced that the, they must achieve an objective and the only way to achieve an objective is through violence. To build a deterrent, we have to de-radicalize things like our police force who are inclined to use violence in lots of situations because they're convinced it's the only way to navigate situations. Someone selling cigarettes for a dollar outside a store, for instance, being choked to death, or children riding bikes in their neighborhood being gunned down by officers. When police officers bring violence into our streets, it makes civilians feel that they need to bring violence as their own deterrent it doesn't lead anywhere good. There's a difference between law and order and having a radical police force that has been proven to be infested with white supremacists. It's a no wonder we have a racial problem in this country that persists. Foreign agents can use this racial tension to destabilize our nation, as we have seen. They can use propaganda to exaggerate it and make the issue worse so that more and more people feel that they need to resort to violence. To solve it. What else can we do as a deterrent? Without engaging in outright censorship, we can still clean up the mess that we call our national media. We can go back to certain journalistic standards and we can drift away from the hyper-polarized partisan media that we've become accustomed to. Now this is a complicated minefield because part of the reason these news outlets have engaged in hyper-polarized partisan rhetoric is because their business models have been undermined by social media platforms. People increasingly get their news on social media and what they see is determined by social media platform algorithms. That means for your content to be shown to people, it has to be inflammatory. It has to trigger people. It has to be clickbaity. And they have to do this because there's no other way for them to make money. They have to get the traffic to their outlets so that they can earn money from the advertising. Now this is a conflict of interest because the social media platforms also rely on advertising. So why do the social media platforms want to send traffic away so that other people can make the advertising money when they can keep them on their platform. This is why companies like Facebook say that they're trying to introduce policies to encourage people to actually read the articles before they share them, but all of Facebook's mechanics are designed so that you engage in discussion and digest the media without ever leaving the platform. People often join the comment feed on Facebook before they even read the article or see the comment feed on the site. So I understand that these media platforms are faced with an existential challenge. Their businesses are essentially built on sand, which is why if we want to take this head on, we have to address this and we have to tackle the problem of how does our national media sustain itself without having to resort to polarizing tactics? Can we approach 
tech companies like Facebook and help them introduce factors into their mechanics and algorithms that disfavor their bottom line and that disfavor their profit motive, but for the good of society, perhaps. There's sort of no way around it, really. That we have to rein in big tech and work with the operators and innovators to secure our national interests and encourage innovation. Because this manifests in a bigger way. The current antitrust practices of companies like Facebook have hindered our ability to compete in the global marketplace. TikTok should have been invented in America. But now, all the biggest tech innovations are happening in China. While we're reigning in big tech and their operators and investors, maybe we should consider repatriating our corporations that offshore their jobs, offshore their money, dodge paying taxes, and expect the American people to pick up the slack. There are certainly other facets to building a deterrent, but the main takeaway is that it doesn't have to be this way. We can inoculate our society to disinformation tactics. And we don't have to go so far as putting a stranglehold on the flow of information. Now, more than ever, with all the technological capabilities that we have, we can address this. Criminals have always adapted to new technology faster than law enforcement. Gangs were the first to get Tommy guns in cars. But it doesn't mean that they have the last word. On the Marianne Williamson presidential campaign, we saw what happened when de-radicalization tactics are employed on a large scale. Boomers and Zoomers, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, they were all cooperatively discussing the deepest issues facing our country and working together to solve them. The ethos of that campaign's work was co-opted by the Biden campaign, which even used the title of one of Marianne Williamson's best-selling books, Healing the Soul of America, as one of its campaign slogans. But none of the actual praxis was employed. There is a way out of the techno-dystopian landscape that we find ourselves looking out at. But make no mistake, the stakes are extremely high. If we do not successfully build a deterrent, we will never have a stable democracy again. No country on earth will have a stable democracy ever again until weapons of this caliber are neutralized.